My name is Jack Kemper. Tonight's scripture is from 1 Kings 17, 8-16. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called back to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said. And she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Mm-hmm. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Hey again, and thank you, Mr. Kemper, for reading that passage for us and leading us in prayer. If you haven't already, would you join us in First Kings chapter 17? Because this is a story about trusting God one hard step at a time in a season of desperate need. We are encountering people just like you and I who are literally scraping the bottom of the barrel just to make it the next day. These are people at the end of their rope, running on empty, and we see them taking a hard next step, not when it's easy, but finding that God meets them in those steps. That's what we're going to be looking at this evening. But think about your own life. When was the last time you were in a season when you found yourself asking, can I really take this next step? Can I really make it one more day? Some of you are hearing this and are saying, dude, I'm living that right now. Some of us, it was toward the beginning of the pandemic when we lost our jobs and we were destabilized and struggling to make sense of the world around us and wondering what tomorrow, the next week, and the next month would look like. When was the last time that you were walking through a season where you found yourself asking over and over again, can I make it one more step? It's these kinds of seasons of struggle where it is hard to keep 
walking, when I don't have enough in the tank and I don't have enough in the bank. And it's all around us. If it's not you right now, you know someone right now. Because even this week, let me tell you three little instances of how this gets worked out in our lives. This week I was talking to somebody that was staring down a difficult conversation and she was just praying and trying to stay present, saying, I don't know how I'm going to make it through. And on the other side of that difficult conversation, she found that it wasn't easy and it wasn't what I was expected, but God gave me what I needed. I talked to someone else this week that had just recently been to a funeral talking about a beloved family member that had no idea how she would even get through that service, how she would even see that person and reflect on the life lost. And he said it was a wonder to see how even in the midst of that pain, she was smiling with tears as she remembered the love that she had for the person she lost. It was not easy. It was not what she expected, but she found that God gave her just enough to get her through the next step. Last brief story as we get into this text. I was talking with someone I've known for a long time, but they were sharing with me about the rocky beginning of their marriage. They'd been married for a long time, but they started their courtship, their relationship in their teenage years. And by the time that they were 18, 19 years old, they were living together and they began to follow Jesus. So in the midst of following Jesus and being plugged into a kingdom community, they said, you know what, we really feel compelled to make it official, to make that covenant relationship before God and our family, to commit to one another in marriage. And they were choosing to do that when so many friends and family around them said, don't, that's crazy. You've got your own jobs, you're so young, you'll never make it financially. How are you going to go off on your own and get married and try to make it? Then they said, by the way, do you really expect that you'll go the distance relationally? So many people around them had tried and failed being married at a young age. They had all of these people around them saying, don't take that difficult step. But there was something within their heart that kept pulling them forward saying, this is what we feel like we've got to do, even though it's not easy, even though it's not what we expected. And time and time again, they found that God gave them what they needed. In fact, she was saying that in those early few months, her husband was trying to find a job. And it was a dream job, it was a dream gig for that time in their lives, and he had gone through the whole hiring process. They came down to the bitter end, and they said, oh, by the way, how old are you? And he said, I'll be 19 in three months. The reason he said, I will be 19, is because he knew that you had to be 19 to get this job. And it was at that moment that they said, then you and I both know that you can't get this job right now. But tell you what, call us on your birthday and we'll see if we got a job for you. Well, they entered in into that season of desperate need for three months wondering, are we going to make it? They spent several weekends wondering if one of their moms was going to spot them 20 bucks for dinner. 
They were wondering as they looked at their bank account, dwindling, dwindling each difficult step each day. And they shared a story of how one day they found $100 deposited into their account. They called the bank and they had no evidence of who initiated that transfer. It was just there when they needed it. Now, I've heard enough of those kinds of stories, not to every day expect it as a magic bullet, but it's given me just enough evidence to where I can confidently tell you that the God who knows what we need gives us what we need when we need it. And more than that, he never runs out of what we need. Friends, this is a story thousands of years old with people just like you and me and those I've talked to this week that are taking a difficult step, one hard step at a time in a season of desperate need. And tonight I want to offer you just enough inspiration and invitation to trust the God who is in the enough business, to trust him in the next step, even when it's hard. So stay tuned and let's get into our story. I ask you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17, and for many of us, maybe it's been a minute since we looked at 1 Kings. So let me remind you that this is one of the books of Hebrew sacred history. It's telling the story from a God perspective of how God's people were making their way in the world. So 1 Kings begins toward the end of David's reign, and it ends with them going off into exile in Babylon. And this was a difficult season. Well, at the time of our story, we have King Ahab, who is widely regarded as one of the worst kings you could ever imagine. And he was constantly up against Elijah, who is a prophet, who is one of the most revered and respected prophets of God's people. So you've got a lot of fun reading in that interaction and conflict there. Because the chief root of that conflict between Ahab and Elijah is because Ahab had hitched his wagon to an idol, a pagan god named Baal. Y'all heard of Baal? Baal was a god of fresh water that carried with it this connotation of fertility and new life and rain. So it's really interesting that in 1 Kings 17, Elijah says, guess what? There ain't going to be any rain coming. No dew for the vineyards, no rain for your crops. A drought is on deck. And it puts into stark contrast this question. Who really gives rain Baal or Yahweh, who really actually gives us what we need? Baal or for you, our bank accounts, our health, our things that may even be good, but they're not our ultimate source. Who really gives us what we need? It's within that context that we enter back into our story. Let me retell it to you. Elijah, who is in need, is guided to a widow who is in need, so that God, who knows our need, can meet it. Elijah had been on the run and out of reach of Ahab, so he could live to prophesy another day. 
And God directs him to this other town, this new place. And right as he's entering into the city, he knows that he's on the lookout for a widow and he spots one. And this widow is gathering up sticks ready to make her last meal. Can you believe this? This is a story ripe with drama. You talk about hard steps in a season of desperate need. God is connecting Elijah who's in need and the widow who's in need. And we are on the edge of our seat wondering what God is up to. So before I go forward with our story, can I just give you a theory that I have? My theory is this. I have a hunch that the giver of daily bread is always trying to make these kinds of connections of someone who has a little bit and someone who doesn't. And God is driving us, guiding us, inviting us to make these connections, wondering if his people may even be the answer to someone else's prayer. God loves to use the raw materials of our own daily bread, our own finances, our own gifts, our own time and attention and clothes and food and you name it. And he loves to make these connections so that we might be formed in the process of partnering with God in his mission to bring holistic peace, shalom, well-being, and flourishing on earth as it is in heaven. Be careful when you pray for our daily bread because God might not just give you what you need. He might give you more than enough so that you might extend that out to others. I have this hunch. What do you think? God using our raw materials to make this connection. So Elijah, who's in need, he needs a little something to eat and something to drink. He asks a bold question of this widow. We know in biblical times and even today that widows were already vulnerable as it is. And he's going to ask her for her last meal. He says, give me a little bread. And while you're at it, give me a little water. And she stops. And you've got to imagine that she like drops her shoulders, drops the sticks down, and she's saying, are you for real with this guy right now? He goes, let me tell you something. As God is my witness, the only bread I have is enough for me and my son. And these sticks that you see me carrying, that's going to start the fire where I can take the last bit of oil, the last bit of flour, and I can make us a last meal. Are you serious right now? You want a little water and a little bread when we are at the end of our rope, which means we're at the end of our life. Here's what's remarkable. If you look back at verse 13, Elijah basically says, Hey, don't be afraid. Don't worry about that. Go ahead and do what you said, except make sure you save some for me. That's a hard step. Next, in verse 14, look there again. He says, There will always be flour and oil. There will always be enough. And the subtext there is if you trust God's promise. Friends, let me tell you this. This is really the big idea that we have here. The ground between what God asks and what God's promise is where trust grows. 
That space, that ground in between verse 13 and 14, if you like, that space there where the widow has to walk back to her pantry, pick up a jar of flour like the one I literally grabbed out of our cupboard, and wouldn't you know it, I got about a handful of flour left in this beat-up old canister. That space when she looks at what she thought to be her last meal and she's faced with a hard choice, a hard step to scrape the bottom of the barrel and use it not just to feed herself and her son, but to even stretch it beyond herself. That space there with tears in her eyes as she takes that oil thinking, are we sure Are we sure that there will always be enough? Are we sure that when I wake up tomorrow, I'll go back to the canister and there may be even more? I mean, how do you feel? Put yourself in this widow's shoes, looking at this, faced with a choice on day one. Should I trust this stranger and this God's promise enough to put my weight on it, to empty this thing out? The ground between what God asks and what God promises is where trust grows. Let me explain a little bit how I believe this grows, that trust within us. Imagine a dance. It's a dance between us and God. In particular, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, for those of us who said yes to Jesus... For those of us who've given Jesus our life, God gives us his life in return, his forgiveness, his new life, and he gives us the Holy Spirit so that within us we're being made new more and more, little by little, in the slow process of growing to look more and more like Jesus, our Lord, who we follow. So that Holy Spirit within us nudges us, moves us, compels us, invites us, prompts us, fill in the blank. It's that impulse you feel when you've got about this much to give and you feel called to give it. Maybe it's literal food, literal clothes, meeting the needs of the poor, which is incumbent upon every follower of Christ. Maybe it's forgiveness and love and blessing, even when it's hard, but it's incumbent upon followers of Christ to love everyone we encounter as ourselves because Jesus has rezoned our neighborhood and everyone is a neighbor to be loved. Whether it's time, attention, money, fill in the blank, we get a nudge and the next move in the dance is on us. Are we going to reciprocate? Are we going to take that hard step? You see, it's one thing to give out of abundance. It's another thing to give when it's hard and we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. But there's another move in the dance. If after the nudge, if after that step, we do take it, the next step, the third step, is that the Holy Spirit, with His power and presence, gives us what we need to do what we've been called to do. And the more you walk in that, the more you are formed, little by little, into the image of Christ. I was talking with someone this week and we were trying to unpack this dance. And I said, you know, 
if we're not careful, we can say, oh, just fake it till you make it. Do the religious thing like in a season of Lent and give some money and pray and fast and do the religious stuff and fake it till you make it. But there's a real slight nuance here that we can't make those steps in such a way that forms us and grows us without the new life and presence of God. That kind of transformation into the image of Christ requires the power and presence of Christ in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's that cooperation, that partnership, and the more we give ourselves to His leading, we find that He gives us more and more what we need as we walk in step with the Spirit, which is what the New Testament teaches in places like Galatians and Romans chapter 8. So, how does this look in our text? And in a minute, I'll tell you how it might look in our everyday life. You've got that nudge where Elijah is invited to go to that city gate to meet this widow. You've got this nudge, and he walks. Then he encounters that widow, and that widow gets an opportunity to go back and use the last handful of flour she has left. That's a step she boldly takes. And when the Holy Spirit moves and when they take that step, you find on the other side in that ground between what God asks and God's promise, God giving us what we need when we need it. Let's take another scriptural bird's eye view of it. What does it look like those hard steps were asked to take Let's do a quick rundown. You'll see a slide here that'll help us journey through it. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Seek first the kingdom of God. That's a hard step. But then he says, God's promise is that all these things, the things you need, will be added to you. Elsewhere he says, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins. And after that teaching, he says, for if you forgive, what's God's promise? After that hard step of forgiveness, that you will be forgiven as well. You will be transformed and released and transformed into a forgiven community of forgiving sinners. That's the ground between the hard step and God's promise. Let's keep going. He says things like, bless those who persecute you. Be a peacemaker. Turn the other cheek. Because in the Beatitudes, he says, this kind of radical enemy love is the kind of love that's the chip off the old block. You will be called children of God. That's God's promise. You know you're in the family when you're loving like that. And God's at work in your life. Man, let's keep going. Paul talks about giving sacrificially. The tithe was an Old Testament principle to give 10% uh, of what you have so that others in the faith community and others who are poor would have enough to live on. But Paul actually takes that Old Testament principle and goes above and beyond it. And the New Testament teaching is to give sacrificially and out without compulsion or obligation because God is at work in you. And he talks about in this giving teaching in 2 Corinthians and elsewhere, how God will richly bless you and meet your needs when you trust him with your finances. That's a hard step, but a promise that God will still give you what you need. Man, I could keep going. 
Jesus says, abide in me, and he promises that I will abide in you, John 15. Paul elsewhere says, if you flee temptation, resist temptation, he promises that God will always provide us a way out. By the way, there's some bad Bible interpretation going on where people love to quote that God will never give us more than we can handle. Baloney, we have a widow and a prophet in the midst of a drought on their last meal. That's pretty much more than we can handle. The text in view there where we misquote that is God will never tempt us. We will never be in a series of temptation or testing or trial beyond what we can bear. Why? Because he promised that he'll always give us a way out. He'll always give us a next step toward life on the other side. That one's free. You can look into that yourself. He even promised us, as I round down our list, of a few little smatterings of hard steps and promises. He even promised us that the hard step of death won't be the end. He says, will you trust that we will not perish, but have eternal, everlasting, the kingdom life, both now and forever? 1 Corinthians 15, that even our bodies won't waste away, that one day we will be raised again to be like Jesus. 1 John, he says, we will see him as he is. We will be like him. Not even the hard step of death and sickness Not even the hard step of all the things, Romans 8. Nothing can separate us. Not tribulation, persecution, trial. Man, he also says, I will be with you, Matthew 28. This is another promise. He says, there's no more condemnation in Romans. Man, I could keep going. The Bible is full of the promises of God so that we might be inspired and encouraged to take the hard step. Because when we close that gap from hard step to God's promise, we find more and more God gives us what we need. He gives us his power and presence. He transforms us more and more into the image of Jesus. And for Elijah and the widow, they transform every day they walk to that pantry the next morning, not just hoping that God's mercy is new, but that the flour is new and the oil is refilled. It just occurred to me that I wish I had done a magic trick (laughs) where like Amy went off camera and filled this thing up. But we're going to just take it in faith that this is what happened with Elijah and the widow. (laughs) So let's round down and talk through the rest of our story. It's so remarkable how there's actually two miracles within our text, our story in 1 Corinthians 17. The miracle that the flour and oil get refilled somehow, some way. We don't know the mechanics of it. We just know the writer, the storyteller, preserved this moment in time. This connection between those in desperate need with the God who gives us more than what we need. We know that this story survived and it was God's movement and activity. Developing trust. But that is just the first miracle. The second miracle is that this woman keeps showing up every new day. Was it easy? Absolutely not. Was it happily ever after? Actually, no. Keep reading in 1 Kings 17, and you'll find that this son who had enough to eat and was rocking and rolling for a while, man, he gets sick. 
And God has to intervene and give them what they need again. It wasn't easy. It wasn't what they expected. But the miracle is verse 15. So she did what he said. And the miracle, verse 16, there was always enough. Do you trust that God knows what you need? Some of us in that ground between a handful of flour and scraping the bottom of the barrel, we want to say like the man in Mark chapter 9, I believe, when he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm crying out. I've got just this much left in the tank. I want to believe that you know what I need. How many of us want to believe that God gives us what we need when he teaches us to pray, give us today our daily bread, and you trust with enough of an open hand that you might even receive it? How much of us really believe that? I think the more we give ourselves to that radical kind of trust, the more we see God meet us time and time again, revealing to us that he's the God that has what we need and he never runs out of it. But could it be that an obstacle to that kind of belief, trust, or faith, because faith is really just another word for trust, could it be that an obstacle to our faith, our trust, is that we've forgotten or we've mistaken the difference between what I want and what I need? Ouch. This is the question for every American Christian, whether they're in times of abundance or times of scarcity, to discern the difference between what I want and what I need. Because often, those two things are very different. Could it be that we've forgotten or mistaken that word enough versus what I want? That could be another distinction. Because I'm afraid in a consumeristic me first kind of culture, we've distorted a definition of what enough looks like. Which is why in this season of Lent that begins this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, we're invited to a season of decrease so that we might thin our lives in order to thicken our communion, our trust, our development with God to find out really the answer to the question, how much is enough? It may not be easy, and it may not be what we expected. It certainly won't always be what we wanted. But could we walk the next hard step, trusting that the God of enough will give us what we need for the day ahead? It's easier said than done, and I don't pretend to think that some of you right now can hear this and say, yeah, yeah, tomorrow everything will just be peachy. No, the life that we're called to, with all of those promises of God, one of them was never that it would be easy. But we still walk, and we still ask the questions like, what's the handful of flour that I have on the shelf? What is it that I've got left? Is there just enough hope rattling around in the end of that jar that says, God, I'm still showing up. 
it stinks right now, it's hard right now, but I right now today have enough flour that I'm here, that I'm listening to Pastor Adam, that I'm going to text that person, that I'm going to keep trying. What is that handful of flour? And then maybe the harder question is, what has God called you to do with it? It's something you might need to sit with. I don't have an easy answer for that. What's the hard step I'm called to take? What's that conversation? What's that gift? What's that difficult interaction? I talked with somebody this week struggling with forgiveness. And we had to talk in real time about how the sticky thing about forgiving others is you need another that has done something that needs your forgiveness. And it stings and it hurts and it is hard. But it's an opportunity to take a step to find the Spirit meeting us in that dance and giving us what we need. It's not easy, but maybe there's a hard step for you too, like I've lived this week and my friends lived this week. And finally, this question I'll leave you with. What's the promise on the other side that you're holding on to? Your own heart is condemning you. Maybe you need to underline that passage in Romans, there is no condemnation. Or in 1 John, when our own heart condemns us, God, who's greater than our hearts, can restore us. What's that thing you've got to cling to at the bottom of the barrel? What's that promise on the other side that you need to hold on to so that you might find that God, who knows what we need, can give us what we need? And in that ground between what God asks and what God promises, He's with us. He's inviting us. And He's restoring and transforming us. So would we keep walking with Him? Amen. Good evening. Hope everyone is warm, healthy, and safe. May God teach us the joy of hospitality that welcomes friend and stranger, neighbor and enemy, so that we might find Christ himself feasting among us. May we learn to love sacrificially and without qualification, like the widow who fed the prophet Elijah before herself and her child with only a handful of flour and a drop of oil. May we remember that God himself gave us his only son so that we might find life and forgiveness in Jesus Christ when we were at the end of our rope. May we find what we need when we need it, every time we return to our own jars of flour, opening each lid in faith that God will indeed give us this day our daily bread. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.